overboard with Nick for the galactic premiere of Space Cases. Join a crew of cosmic kids, Space Cases, working together to find the way home, Space Cases. Launches next Saturday night at 9, 8 central only on Snick. Submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. Oh, joy! Let's rock! It makes me wanna fight! Dear Journal, it's me, Doug. Do you have it? A baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. That was a hoot! On your mark. Get set. Oh, here it goes! Welcome to Splat Attack, where we're taking it back to the slime-filled past. I'm your galactic, gactastic co-host, Brett. And I am your intergalactic, slime-tastic host, Alex. And Brett, are you ready to get out of this world? You know it. I got my uh, spacesuit all packed up. I got my, uh, my lunar doohickeys that will measure the, the gravitational force that I need. And anything else that sounds space-like that I know I, I have packed. Trust I've, me, I've, I checked I've my list. My, I've got my lights on uh, attached to the wall, ready to start uh, some passwords to get going. So Awesome. What, are we, uh, talking to, what are we talking about today? I'm glad you asked, Alex. Uh, today, we're going to be doing a retrospective of space cases where we're going galactic. And what I mean by that, basically, is that we are going to be covering the entire series as a basic summary with some of our lovely guests um, who are going to join us on this journey uh, aboard the Krista. So before we jump into the details of things, let's uh, introduce our fellow space cadets who will be joining us on this journey tonight. Uh, my name is Rahi Azizi. I played the character Bova, uh, who hailed from uh, Uranus or Uranus. <laughs> and my character was the perennial butt of every joke. Uh, and so we think he had a chip on his shoulders in part because of uh, the name of his planet and just that was sort of his disposition. Um, he was a, a pessimistic sort of person and, um, and sort of always saw the, um, you know, always saw sort of the, um, not the silver lining, uh, but just always sort of, always managed to find sort of like the misfortune or sort of the, the, um, you know, the negative outlook of life. And so that was, uh, that was his MO, but yeah, that was my character. Yes. Hi, I'm Paige Christina Huser, and I played Rosie Ayani, um, who is the, you know, opposite to Boba. Um, so she is obviously the um, optimist of the group, always sees things on the sunny side and uh, always looks for good in people and, uh, yeah, just basically it was the all around to be the cheerful one of the group and the one who always um, hoped for the good endings. Hi there. I played Teresa James Davenport, the 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 teacher of the students, uh, the te the teacher of uh, the kids who are on uh, on the Krista, and um, uh, Ms. Davenport uh, was had a British accent, so I had to create that accent, which is fine for me. But um, she, oh, this is a multi-leveled character, multi-leveled personality. But I think her main aim was to mother, to to teach, uh, and uh, 
try to, to instill some kind of um, regularity in this crazy world that they were going to, they were about to embark on for the next seven years. And unfortunately, um, Davenport had a propensity to panic uh, when something went wrong, <laughs> which is what the show's about, right? Something goes off. So yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. Hi guys, I played uh, Thelma. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, such a memorable role for, uh, I think Carrie f can attest to this, women in Montreal, where we had a chance to play comedy was like just amazing. So my role, I was in charge of on-ship operations. Um, uh, I had this like uh, special connection to the Krista, the ship itself, except that Thelma had a little bit of a screw loose. So I was supposed to be kind of like in Star Trek, sort of a combination, I think, of Uhura, Uhura, Scotty, and Chekhov all mixed in one, except you couldn't rely on her. And, you know, just a, a, honestly, the background goofball. That was, that was my job. Scene and stealer. And I got paid for it. <laughs> Scene yeah. stealer, I think, might be a more appropriate term. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Oh, my name is Paul Bereski. I played Commander Goddard, Seth Goddard. Commander Seth Goddard. How would you describe Seth Goddard? Palatable, irritable, ambitious, independent, helpful, beneficial, uh, sometimes funny, not really though. <laughs> uh, uh, understanding. He was uh, frustrated, mm -hmm. but he, I think he was a, uh, uh, he was a lot of me. <laughs> he was a lot of me, is what he was. And and of course we we have to have a fan join us. So Kat, would you please introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Catherine or Kat, and I was called Kat before Space Cases, so that nickname was mine first. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jewel. Um, and uh, yeah, hi, my name is Catherine, and I sat too close to the TV as a child. Uh, no, uh, I'm a Space Cases fan. I watched it when it first aired, and it was my introduction to science fiction, and that's really where my love of the genre began. So this is this is very cool. Thank you for welcoming me aboard. Of course, glad to have you. Nice. And of course, there are several other characters on the show who the actors and actresses could not be here with us for this call, and they are greatly missed. I know that we are, there are a few who wanted to be here but couldn't. So, Brett, would you like to run through the cast list? Sure. Uh, so in addition to the lovely uh, crew members that are joining us today, we also have Harlan Band, who is played by Walter Emanuel Jones. He's the only Earth human student aboard the ship. As such, he appoints himself as leader of the group and when boarding the Krista, takes control as pilot in the command post. He possesses strong leadership qualities, though he can be stubborn with accepting guidance at times. He has often a rivalry of Radu too. His overconfidence often gets his crew into trouble, but can make up for his mistakes through teamwork and adapt, adept combat skills. We also have uh, Radu, who's played by Christian Ayer, and this Andromedan is one of the last of his kind, surviving the Andromedan War with the Spung 11 years before the show takes place. Radu is capable of ultrasonic hearing, plus the strength of 10 men, and was born from a hatchery. So technically, he doesn't have any parents, but considers the crew his family. Uh, we also have Catalina, who is played by Jewel State. 
Catalina is from Titan, which is one of the moons of Saturn, from a race of aliens capable of creating destruction or solving problems with her sonic screams. She often consults her invisible, not imaginary friend Susie for guidance whenever the crew is in a tight bind. She acts as the ship's engineer throughout the crew's journey along with Thelma. And then we also have Susie, who's played by Rebecca Herbst. While considered Catalina's imaginary friend during season one, she actually joins the crew in the flesh for season two, bringing with her powers of telepathy and the ability to breathe within any atmosphere of any planet except space through the use of gills. According to the theme song, she is smarter than a million books. It's also revealed in the season one finale on the road to find out that she switched places with Catalina in order to save her via a rip between dimensions. Though not discussed, it was revealed from the Space Cases official website that her home planet is called Yensid. And then just a little bit on additional recurring characters that we may talk about later. Uh, we also have Elmira, who is played by Katie M. McInnick, who's the princess of the Spung race and daughter to Warlord Shank. She is a benevolent oracle who helps the Krista crew on their ventures on a couple of occasions throughout both seasons. She and Radu also have had a shared romantic affection for each other and occasionally keep in touch. Uh, and last but not least, we have Warlord Shank, who's played by the great George Takai. He's a villain in the series and is father to the princess slash oracle Elmira. He is ruthless in pursuing his goals, whether it's reclaiming her daughter or destroying anyone who prevents him from bringing glory to the Spung Empire. All right. Well, now that we've got our cast of characters for our Gakoids and Slimesters, which is what we call our listeners, um, Space Cases falls in that that gray area of ma mainstream Nickelodeon uh, where it's got a huge cult fan base, which is really awesome. Very, very loyal people uh, because I've been in several different Nickelodeon groups and you get shows like Hey Arnold and, and uh, SpongeBob and things like that constantly thrown in. But every once in a while, somebody will toss in, does anybody remember this one? And it's space cases. And you get a lot of, friends who or, or fans who will go oh my gosh you just unlocked a core memory that I had completely forgotten about and there's also a lot of uh, especially in, in Nickelodeon realm some kids who were born in the mid to late 90s that completely missed this show and for those of you who may have forgotten it or didn't know about it especially since Nickelodeon just kind of dropped it off the face of the planet which is awful Brett, would you give us a bit of an intro and give a synopsis of the show? Gladly. For, for those who don't know, 1996 marked the change of the guard at Nickelodeon, both totally in its show lineup and literally. Uh, Geraldine Laybourne stepped down as president to head over to Disney, where she became in charge of children's programming, while Herb Scannell stepped in to fill her shoes and ushered in a second wave of popular Nick shows to their television lineup. Shows such as Mystery Files of Shelby Woo, Keenan and Kel, Hey Arnold, Kablam, Loose Clues, and of course, a little space odyssey for kids called Space Cases. Space Cases was the brainchild of co-creators Bill Moomy and Peter David, who both worked on the sci-fi show Babylon 5 before producing this one. The kids' sci-fi TV show premiered on Saturday, March 2nd, 1996, and ended January 27th, 1997, with reruns extending until 1998. During its series run, Space Cases has proven to be a crucial part of mid-90s Snick lineup and has generated a cult following among countless 90s Nick fans to this day. The show featured a group of misfit kids 
from all over the solar system attending class at the Star Academy in the year 2261, which took inspiration from Mumi's time as a child actor in TV's Lost in Space and a film about outcasts called Blessed the Beasts and Children. The story starts one fateful day at the Star Academy. After field training for five space students was canceled, a mysterious avian-like ship approached campus just outside their classroom window. These five kids, all from different planetary backgrounds, snuck aboard the ship to explore its interiors, and in doing so, bond with the vessel. Upon the students' disappearance, their assistant principal, TJ Davenport, and star dog commander and teacher, Seth Goddard, chase after them into the Krista, where one of the kids accidentally charges the engine, sending everyone aboard deep into hyperspace. Since only the students can control the ship due to their now-established bond with the Krista, the group must work together to solve various mysteries and thwart several alien enemies during their seven-year journey back home across the galaxy. Today, we'll cover some of the most memorable moments of the show's history with our crew as we journey through the universe with space cases. All right, so let's dive into some questions. Now that we've got uh, refreshed everybody's memory who's listening about space cases, so... Brett, do you want to take the first question? Sure. And we can alternate from there. And Kat, if you want to ask a few, you're more than welcome to. Uh, and starting off, uh, in what ways do you all relate to your characters? Is there one you relate to more? Or if so, which one and why? So it, I, I think that uh, as an actor, when you take on a role, there's always a part of you in the role. And that's what creates the root of the character and the, the truth of the character, the honesty of the character, right? If you're trying to emulate something that's not part of you, then it, it I think it, it, it portrays as, as phony. Um, and I suppose when I think about, uh, when I went in for that audition, I saw um, a woman who was a high achiever, uh, uh, like myself, um, uh, strive for per perfection, like myself, uh, and was someone who is very mothering and nurturing like myself. Uh, and so I saw all these qualities, you know, just reading the, the lines and I knew that there was comedy in all the lines. And I knew that, you know, like Anique, you know, I was, I was the comic relief to a certain degree. Um, but I also knew that it could, the comic relief could only work if I was, there was, it came from a place of honesty. So every scene, every episode, I tried to find somewhere where there's a real normal, natural human being. And it made all of the other, other things that happened uh, acceptable, you know? Um, and I guess one of my favorite qualities of, of Davenport was her vulnerability mm -hmm. and her willingness to show it and not to be afraid to show it. And I think that that was, you know, watching this again after 26 years and I see just the influence of her being afraid. And yeah, she was funny, but, but to be honest about that fear. And I think that that was very, I think very educational um, for, for, for anybody watching, especially, uh, you know, teens or people of a certain age where they want to see all of the unraveling and all of the imperfections of uh, adults. And I know that uh, Paul had said earlier that, uh, his character, uh, Seth, was very much like himself. Uh, Paul, when you and I spoke for our Instagram Live, you had shared a story about how, about what you did in auditions that got you the role. Would you mind sharing that story? 
it's kind of silly, really, but what, what I went to the audition, I, you know, there's so many people that go up for roles and stuff, and you try and find something unique you can present, and hopefully you hit the mark when, you, when you're when you there and, and, and in front of these people, and you leave some kind of an impression upon them. One of the things that struck me about Goddard is that he's in a place he doesn't normally feel familiar in. He's not familiar with any of these youngsters, uh, his, the people he's been surrounded by are warriors and he's gone to war, he's, he's done some horrific acts in, uh, in war and uh, with his crew and they've been, you know, it's, so here he is stuck with these children who he doesn't really have any time of day for and he would sooner just kind of get through the whole experience of being um, demoted and placed in a position he didn't want to be in as fast as possible with his little, a little as little amount of pain as possible for him. So anything the children would get would irritate him. He knew he couldn't lash out at them because that's not what he was. That's not what he was about as a person, anyways. He would express his 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 dissatisfaction by simply grunting. And during the audition, I don't remember what the scene was, and I really don't remember who the character was. But it could have been Bova. It was probably Bova. He was the most irritating of them all. It would have been Bova. And so, you know, Bova said something to me. Let's just say it is Bova, Bova say. Bova said something to me as the you know, as his character. And, and Commander Goddard kind of responded with that, just this long, drawn out. <sighs> That's all it was. it was. Just that. And it was just a it was an expression of dissatisfaction and but, you know, it's just, it was a matter of him just, and they loved it anyways. To make a long story short, it happened kind of spontaneously for me. I didn't really rehearse it at home. And I just kept looking for something going, what am I, there's got to be something here that I can present to these people that is, that is a little bit different from what everyone else might do, you know? Um, and, 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 and as I was going into the reading, actually, it, it kind of struck me that there was no allowance for, for Commander Goddard to express how dissatisfied he was in this scene, even though I could see that he was being irritated by Bova and uh, that, you know, he had to answer uh, and he didn't want to. So it kind of came to me as I was reading it on the spot. And it, it was a chance I took, a risk I took, and it worked. I think because it came from an honest place is why it worked. And Billy was the first one to explode in laughter. Mummy. <laughs> nice. And, and they loved it. They loved it a lot. And but the thing was is that I presented them with an honesty of me, the, the darker side of me. Mm -hmm. And Nick didn't want that. That was a little too too intense for them. So they actually came to me before we started and asked me to tone it up. Authoritative, but not mean in any way, and yeah. they felt that maybe I was getting bordering on mean, and they may have been right. I don't know personally, but I did what I had to do. And yeah. well, I mean, I'll say I don't. I you know, as being a younger actor and starting out, um, I didn't. I don't think I planned the audition and all of that the way the rest of you did. Um, but you know, I just knew that I had to go in there and be be happy and, and say everything kind of chipper and upbeat and to me that wasn't hard to do um and I really do think that 
you know, I couldn't be any of the other characters. I, you know, I don't think I am fairly cheery uh, within my normal disposition. Um, and just in general, I always think the best of people until sort of proven wrong. Um, so I always give everybody the benefit of the doubt. So I guess in that kind of sense, you know, trying to play her, playing her happy and, and seeing things, um, you know, out of the best view possible is very similar to what I'm normally like so I guess that worked out for me um mainly because you know like I said I being younger and auditioning and it being it's one of the first things that's you know I've really been in in an acting um and I don't think I put as much effort into understanding what I needed to do um as much as I maybe should have had I known more but it worked for me uh and yeah I was just very fortunate that they saw you know what they saw in me and that I was uh the one to be selected well, it's so funny because yeah. you say you know I you, you had a sunny disposition and you're sitting there with a yellow room in a yellow <laughs> room Paige it really works you know <laughs> really enhances the mood yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, if you don't mind, I'm going to uh, jump in. Um, sure. I'm, a, I'm a bit like Paul in the sense that, okay, there's not much I could relate to a robot with, uh, you know, but um, when I got the audition, uh, first thing I did was I loved the writing. So for me, writing is everything. Uh, the writing spoke to me and it said that they were looking for this character's uh, description was a mixture between an, an airline pilot and a hostess from Disneyland. So when I read that, I, I was already doing a lot of voice work and cartoon stuff. And so, oh, Thelma, uh, very instructive and yet at the same time has that very light, sweet quality because everyone's so happy in Disneyland, aren't they? So I kind of had that going. <laughs> and and she's, she sort of came from there. And, um, and I think what I discovered with the concept of Thelma was the absolute joy of the clown in me that I didn't know. I mean, she was there, but she never had a chance to really come out and party. And I had a chance to do that with Thelma, especially when they, they would write crazy stuff like, you know, dancing the hoedown and, and all these crazy <laughs> things, which I just like, okay, comedy, here we come. And so I related to Thelma in that the child in me was allowed to come out and play. You know, that was about it. From what it sounds like through all your experiences, you really channeled a deeper part of yourself to be part of the acne experience. And it just allowed you to, allowed you all to like, just make it a much more authentic experience for everyone, not only acting in the show, but, you know, everyone watching as well. And I think that that's a, you know, it, it attributes to its lasting legacy as a show that's worth remembering because it does have a similar feel, at least from my perspective to another show that I'm into called Are You Fair of the Dark? Uh, that was also produced by Sinar, um, that kind of heartfelt sentimentality that like everything that we're experiencing, whether it's like, you know, a sci-fi adventure in space or just a bunch of kids telling horror stories around a campfire, it's coming from a place of um, genuine like feeling. And that really helps it last the test of time overall. Mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to add also that you have to give credit to the producers and mostly John Bell and uh, Otto Hannes who were our directors in the first season, who gave us permission mm. to let her rip. 
and to, 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 to try it out. And if it was too much, they'd pull us back. But they really allowed us to go for the gusto. And man, that just doesn't happen anymore. It just doesn't happen anymore. And I think the, the credit that I mean, the, the, the show is, is so foundational on the fact that we were alive. And Susie Dietz, who was the, uh, who, who cast me, uh, um, you know, as the second- Executive producer. Yeah. She was the executive producer, yeah, and she she wanted us to just have fun, go for it, go for it, and if it's too much, we'll tell you. But wow, what a gift! What a beautiful gift to give people who went to clown school. Luke <laughs> and I went to clown school in in France, and man, what a what a treat to be able to to um, you know test out the the clown world in this scientific world really very special. A common thread I've noticed uh, through all the episodes we've done on our podcast so far is that, um, you know, every show that we looked a little bit deeper in it, it all comes down to that common thread of just having permission to have fun and be yourself and really just live that up to the max. And I think that's why, you know, this among many other shows we've covered and even special topics like Nick takes over your school, leave a lasting impression with the people who grew up with Nickelodeon back then. Um, because it, it was just that deep, genuine feeling that we could all connect to. And because, because of that, you know, it, it's just makes us happy all the time. <laughs> I can't well, put it, it takes, any simpler. <laughs> yeah. And it, I think it takes a special uh, director. I was just speaking recently with uh, uh, the casting director who actually cast our uh, um, uh, space cases. She also cast all of the young uh, actors for Are You Afraid of the Dark? And she basically told me, she said, you know, they went on set and they learned how to act. They got the part, but then it was the directors, the, they just helped them, they mold them, they, 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 they sort of nurtured them. And, and she said, you know, they didn't really have to go to acting school. They were going to school and acting and being in a great show all at the same time, you know? Yeah, the casting agents here in Montreal, Kenyan Casting, they did Shelby Woo and Are You yeah. Afraid of the Dark and Space Cases. Yeah. And they're, they're very, very popular casting agents still today. And, uh, you know, really warm people that were always encouraging with actors. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, a success of a show is the people that are surrounding you. And so all the professionals, I, one of my favorite directors was Adam Weissman. Mm. I don't know if any of you guys remember Adam. Sure. Uh, became a great friend as well and but every time we came on set he was so prepared he had the whole crew everybody laughing but he knew exactly what he wanted to do when you know mm -hmm. so things moved along efficiently but he was never stressed as a director I, I had mm. experienced some other directors a little bit stressed whereas he was like eh, eh, one joke after another and uh, those things also like Carrie said with John Bell they just allowed us as actors to have that freedom. So, I mean, if, if whatever we give off, the audience is going to get. So I think it's in everyone's investment that we have a good time, right? <laughs> it's like... Exactly. Going along with, uh, and you all may have touched on this uh, a little bit already, but uh, I'm going to gear this one. Well, start the shift over to Rahi since we haven't got to have, hear from him much yet. But what was one of the most enjoyable things about being on Space Cases? You know, it might sound cliche, but literally just coming to set every day. I mean, uh, is uh, Anik and, and Carrie had mentioned that it was just a really great set. 
in, in part because of the directors and the crew and just being in Montreal, everyone was so warm and friendly. Um, in the cast, I mean, we just had so much fun. Like I, I, you know, loved being in the company of, you know, everyone on the Zoom. It was just, it was such a, and it was such a learning experience too. As a young actor, you're, you're watching professionals and uh, like Paul and Carrie and Anika, you're just, you know, I'm learning from them. Um, and so it was, it was just such a, a delightful experience just to be on set every day. Um, the, you know, also it was fun. I mean, it was a fun set. It was, uh, you know, they were like jump tubes, <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing, it was a really, there were, there was a lot of action involved. I mean, it was sort of, it was an action packed show in some ways. Um, but there was also a lot of theater. I mean, there was one episode, um, it's called runaway. Mm -hmm. Um, and Anik, you had mentioned Adam and, it, as sort of comedic as the show was, there were times when there were some really serious episodes. And I think there was a, you know, the narrative was actually really sort of interesting and compelling. Kat, I think you had circulated the Bible of the show to had this whole sort of backdrop of like alien refugees and none of that really yeah. sort of, I don't recall if that was sort of really articulated in the dialogue, but it was always there in the backdrop. Anyway, this one episode runaway where uh, my character and, and Christian's character, Radu, were trapped in this shuttle and we were losing oxygen. And Adam had, uh, we had met with him before we started shooting and we watched this, this movie, I can't recall the name of it. It was with Gene Hackman, where his character, they were, he was him and some other character actors that were playing astronauts and they were shut in this, uh, they were uh, stuck in this shuttle and they were losing oxygen. And so this was sort of, we were just watching it for inspiration. And uh, it was just, it was, you know, he, it was, it was fun just sort of performing and, you know, uh, pretending that we're, we're literally dying, you know, and I'm, I'm 13 years old and sort of, you know, playing this really dramatic scene uh, episode. And so it was just, it was, it was challenging to, to be certain because I hadn't really done anything like that, but it was also, um, it was really interesting and, and fun to, to really role play in that way. So yeah, it was just being on set every day was just a blast. That was, that, that's my sort of favorite um, part of the, the entire experience. That's great to hear that you really got into the role by like looking at that for inspiration, just really going for it, especially with um, Christian Ayer, who is with you in that spaceship pod for that episode. It really brought a new level of um, like theatrical tension to it that I didn't see in previous episodes before. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And as Anik had mentioned, Adam was a director there and he was a great, really great, strong director, um, as were all the uh, the directors who directed the episodes. They, they would rotate the directors. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, gave us sort of like the guidance and the foundation that we could look to in terms of uh, inspiration, sort of the, the performances that they would try to bring out of us, but at the same time, giving us the freedom to just perform and be natural because, you know, you can't have it sort of be that environment be too controlled and sort of everyone sort of brings something different uh, to their character and their performance. So, uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a really great set. I mean, it was, I think a lot of it was sort of that just being in Montreal, it was like just a very different, culture it was it was it was a very warm culture and you know mm. something that was to me being on american sets so, struck me as sort of distinct and different it was just it's more familial yeah we've um we've interviewed with a couple of different guests before like dj McHale from already for the dark and uh robin ross from 15 and they definitely mentioned the 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 similarities and differences between like filming in montreal and filming in 
uh, Orlando Studios, uh, Nickelodeon, and just like how how unique and quirky it was to be in Montreal when they filmed the episodes. And I think that that added like a nice little tone or undercurrent to, you know, the episodes of Space Cases and Are You Afraid of the Dark as an example. Alan Goodman also has confirmed what you've said. So mm -hmm. very much so. Uh, I actually have a question for Katz. Uh, how did you first find the show and what made you a fan? I'm particularly curious because uh, it might be similar to how I found the show as well. I first discovered the show through Nickelodeon magazine, actually. Mm. Um, Space Cases was featured in their Ooze News um, article. So it was two full pages of you know, the premise and character bios and uh, an interview with Bill Moomy and just like really extensive stuff. Um, and I was 10 years old at the time, very interested in you know, science and tech and, and astronomy. And so, you know, it was intriguing and I, you know, I started watching, um, and at, you know, sort of 10 years old, entering those weird tween years and not having a good handle on, on who you are is really tough. So I found the show to be extremely relatable. Um, you know, it just kind of spoke to me, um. You know, I felt like I was a bit of a misfit and um, the show itself didn't really feel like anything that I had seen on television before. And I was just fascinated by it. And I quickly became invested in, in the characters and their journey. That's great to hear. Um, I'd say in terms of my, my connection to it, I, I didn't find out through um, in Nickelodeon magazine, despite having like several issues that I used to collect. But um, I caught it on SNCC because I'd always, you know, tune in every week to see what was showing up. And it happened to be like, I think either the, the second or the third slot. Uh, Alex, you might have the current firm for that. But um, I just remember seeing it before Are You Afraid of the Dark and be like, oh, wow, this is so cool. I'm not used to seeing like sci-fi shows for kids. Like the only thing I had previous exposure to um, back when I was like around eight, nine was, uh, mystery science Theater 3000. So I thought it was kind of similar to that. And I would enjoy it because of like, maybe it had some comedy and maybe it's some, you know, attention, some adventure, some quirky alien characters. And, uh, I just knew, <laughs> I mean, it also helped that, um, you know, Walter was on the show as well, because I knew him from power Rangers fame at the time. And Alex and I are big power Rangers fans. Uh, but I, I essentially, he lured me in, but I stayed for all the quirky, diverse characters that I got to meet. And it was it's something, I don't know what it is, just something special about it that really kept me hooked and coming back to it as like an old friend that I like to revisit. You know, the funny thing is uh, the show displaced uh, another arguably more beloved show on SNCC, uh, I think Ren and Stimpy. Mm. Um, and so I courted some enmity uh, after the first season, when I went back to school, because uh, we were tutored on set, like uh, Paige and I and, and Jewel, um, and uh, and then when the show was uh, on hiatus, go back to school. And so remember when it aired, uh, it basically replaced Ren and Stippy in that lineup. That's it. Yeah, the third slot. Cool. <laughs> you know? I think our show will be better. There, um, there I, it is. If you can... And I was a fan of Ren and Stippy, but I remember a lot of kids were like, you know kind of upset at me like right. <laughs> oh no well, well if it like, makes you replace Ren and Stimpy like if it makes sucks. you feel better I actually have Ren and 
Stimpy in space on a poster behind me. So they're up there oh, okay, floating yeah, somewhere yeah, around yeah, the crystal yeah. trying to get aboard. Yeah, space yeah. Madness. Popularized all yeah, space of, madness. That space episode. I remember running yeah. Stimpy lost in space or whatever it was. Yeah. Anyway, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned that because that, you know, that was sort of, you know, it replaced Ren and Stimpy. And it's so cool that it, it has this following because Ren and Stimpy is such a hard act to follow. It, it is, but I think they um, they definitely set the foundation for any future lineups uh, for the shows to be in there. And I think it, it was a hit from the get-go. Going with our next question, and the, the way the series ended is, is very difficult. And, and I don't really want to bring the mood down. I want this to be upbeat and fun and, and jovial and, and have a good time. But excluding how the show ended... What were some of the challenges that you all had faced individually to overcome and make the show as good as it was? Um, I think I'll say uh, briefly, um, to play Thelma, um, I was often on the, well, almost every day on the makeup chair at about 5.30 a.m., 6 o'clock. And sometimes the shooting would go um, until 11 that night. Um, so there were times I remember because Thelma, I really had to, uh, play her in a very aligned way. It was very inner and very energetic as you might have seen sometimes even in the bloopers, like I, it, I, ha it, I have to snap out of it because I'm just in her. Um, so it took a lot of energy and sometimes I found that super challenging, you know, uh, the show itself though, uh, I mean, every episode was so much fun and, and, and they were, they were like, they were spending a lot of money per episode. So it was a huge playground for us. Um, but yeah, I just, I just remember the show overall, uh, as far as challenging, um, that was about it. Otherwise it was a super blast. Um, and, uh, you know, like everybody said already, the crew, we all got along and, uh, between takes, we were having fun. And then when it came time to the take, sometimes we had to double focus and just like what, what was that line again uh but uh, a real pleasure a real joy and a joy to connect with each each character you know um so i don't know about any particular challenges i don't know if any of you lived any particular challenges outside of like having to be tutored and then do this at the same time <laughs> Um, no, I don't think that I, I don't remember anything really being so much of a challenge, but I guess, you know, looking back on it and kind of thinking back on, um, you know, our time there, I didn't even, I wasn't even bothered with the makeup from what I can remember. I, that part was fine. I did, you know, I know I grumbled a little bit because the eyebrow thing I had to get, they had to disappear. So they had to be glued and waxed. And so that was a bit of annoying, but, um, even the bald cap wasn't too bad. I think that if, if, you know, I, if I could talk to my younger self back in the day, I'd probably tell her, you know, cut your hair so that the bald cap and everything like would just work better. Because I think that that was one thing that, you know, pre-watching, I feel like I was very stiff. And I think half of it was because I had a whole mess of hair about you know, same length as I have now, um, trailing down the back of my jumpsuit. And uh, it definitely 
hindered, you know, what I could do. And, uh, but I was, yeah, I was young and heck no, I'm not cutting my hair short. It's going <laughs> to stay as long as I want it to be. Um, and they asked me on more than one occasion, you know, why don't you just cut it shorter and make this easier? Uh, and I just was stubborn and wouldn't. So, um, yeah. So for me, that was maybe the only slight challenge was, you know, trying to make things seem as normal as they could. Um, while having my tail of hair down the back of my neck but from what i've seen in the episodes they conceal that very well like somehow yeah. the design of the costume you know you you couldn't even tell i think there's like a turtleneck that helps with that and then i think that there's was it jumpsuit the jumpsuit well, yeah. you see, like and you'll see like the um you know the transition from the very beginning where it was i you know it was almost like a full face where just my face was out and it was a whole full head piece and then it changed to be you know sometimes it was the hat um, and then sometimes it was in the second season, then it became more um, like the plastic pink bald cap with the headband. Um, and it just had a little, you know, triangle piece that came up at the back and it was like a turtleneck. And each, you know, every few episodes, they adjusted it. So it was a little bit easier and easier. And it became more like a natural part of my character. And of course, they nailed it really well towards the end of second season. It was so much easier to put on and to use. And I, I agree, it looked a lot better. So that, that was actually going to piggyback of my next question for you. Like, because you were able to, you know, work with a different wardrobe for season two, did you feel that lent to like your ability to be more expressive with performances uh, during season two? Or was there not much of a difference between season one and season two with your costumes? Uh, well, definitely the costumes, they had definitely changed and I, and with Rosie for sure with the different headpieces, I mean, I wasn't the biggest fan of wearing the big hat at the beginning, um, that had to be like custom fit to my head and it was, yeah, wasn't the biggest fan of that one. It did limit a lot. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, and I do, I do think that just in general for me, as the seasons went on and as the episodes went on I think just because I became more comfortable with the crew with um you know the cast with just being in the environment uh it was just I was able to embrace the character more things seemed more natural and then in turn that just I think kind of made the character open up a little bit more and and I think she seemed a little bit more um I don't know outgoing and a little I don't think it just seemed a little bit easier for her as, as the character progressed. So. I, I uh, hated my antennae. Like I was just <laughs> you did. You did. It was so annoying. I would, it would fall off. And it, I it remember, would yeah, back on. I, I hated when they would cut my hair. You know, I was like yeah. I was 13. I was I like, my hair was, you know, literally <laughs> the only thing that I kind of had going yeah. in my life, other than this, you know, being on a, a was... <laughs> but you know, when I, that episode that we, the characters switch places. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. And you know, I, their call time changed from like, you know, 8 a.m. to like 5 a.m. I was like, <laughs> I don't even know 5 a.m. exists. It's like a concept. <laughs> um, and you know, sitting in, in the makeup chair, uh, like you did day in and day out for just like those few days for like, what, what it was like an hour or two hours or something. I was like, oh my God, this is just so difficult I was it was all that makeup and the the ball cap and so you know all the kudos to you I, I was so unappreciative of of the fact that you know my sort of makeup and the wardrobe was comparatively um 
uh, a lot easier to bear. Uh, you know, I think Radu, the same thing, like his hair and ears. Yeah. And then the spun characters, uh, you know, I, I don't, even George Takai was, you know, obviously prolific actor, you know, he was, that he was, you know, for, for a child show, willing to sit in the makeup chair for so long, uh, you know, <laughs> and to, to play his part as really, you know, so cool and commendable that he really, uh, you know, believed in the show and obviously his relationship with Peter David. But yeah, that makeup was, uh, you know, was, was, uh, taxing, but yeah. you did amazing with it. <laughs> ah, thanks. You know, do you know, I, um, I spoke to a, an acupressurist and I asked her about the space between like the third eye, the space between the, the eyebrows. And she says, that's one of the most sensitive spots on the face. And it can cause you to have ticks if you yeah. press on it for more, too often. If you do, it's like, it's like the Chinese torture, right? The water torture. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. You had that every day on your face. Yeah, yeah. So no wonder really you felt all like weird. What you, and what you just said, like you can't articulate it, right? Like, oh, like I, this is like a nerve. I, you know, I at that age, I don't sort of can't conceptualize those things. Um, that there are nerve endings there, or that this is something that you know is no. within any person. I, I just thought I was, I was like, okay, don't complain. You know, it's like you have a per diem. <laughs> service you know <laughs> you want a donut at like you know Boba. well that explains why uh Boba's race is all all like uh you know kind of downer disposition because yeah. all that pressure there from the wishbone yeah, that shoots electricity yeah, yeah. The wishbone. yeah well it was it was thanks to the, the you know like I would say in terms of one of the hard things was you know you're you're especially again with like uh you know, the adult actors who, who were, you know, consummate professionals, but who had trained and, um, you know, like Paul, I remember having conversations with you about like Stanislavski and Method and Meisner. Wow. And then you go from that to like, okay, I have to do algebra now, you know, for two hours with the tutor. It's like, it's uh, just such a, it was a weird sort of paradigm shift all of a sudden. I'm like, no, I'm an actor, I'm an artiste. <laughs> I memorize my lines and like, it's like, no, it's like by law, you have to do this and you have to maintain a certain grade point average or else, you know, you'll, you'll lose your spot. So, you know, it's funny, uh, Rahi, when you talk about the makeup, just going back to the, the wishbone you had there on the third eye, um, in the pilot, uh, the way they had Thelma's character was really beautiful. Like the hair pulled back, the three little markers on the forehead. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing because um, it, it was also what gave me the impetus to play her that way. She was, she was a little more ethereal than, than, than this, this chick. Uh, but the minute they came up with this helmet and the whole thing, it's like you had to roll with it, right? Mm -hmm. So when that first season started, that first episode, and they stuck that helmet on top of the head with all the makeup and the you know, no eyebrows, I kind of went, okay, let's go with this. <laughs> and then her goofy side came out, but there was there was also a potential for such drama in the pilot that was kind of interesting. And so, yeah, the, the evolution of these characters all, in a sense, were very interesting to see from one season to the next, from the pilot to the, to the seasons and so on. Yeah, it sounds like the relationship between the actor and actresses with their wardrobe is kind of symbiotic in that sense, like the design informs the personality a little bit and vice versa. 
very oh, yeah. interesting. I mean, less, less so for I think for uh, for for Paul and I, just because we were and well, not so much for 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 Walter because you know he's playing one of the kids. But for as the adults, I mean, we just had the regular old outfits. So we had to create our characters from a more uh, a deeper place, you know. I think except when your brain went up, Carrie, you really <laughs> yeah. you really portrayed that. That was oh yeah, really nineteen funny. times its normal size. That's that it. was really That's funny, it, darling. It actually yeah. reminded me of this. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but there's like this obscure animated show on MTV's oddities called The Head Saves the Earth. And that's what I immediately went to that. Like, oh, my goodness. Wow. I, this this memory of space case has unlocked another latent memory from like when my uncle Phil, who was a teenager in high school, babysat me and we used to watch this show. And I'm like, whoa, blow my mind. And it had to do with aliens, too. So funny little connection there. But um, how how was that like acting with, with yeah exactly that. Oh, what wow. else? Oh my God, it looks oh, so there it is. Like wow, Davenport's head. Yep. Wow. Um. So, wow. You know, watching well, that show again. Um, <laughs> it, it, so it, it's probably it's probably one of my more more uh, more favorite shows only because it showed up the incredible technical and uh, aspects of the crew that worked for worked with us and for us. And it, it showed just how incredible Anique Chartier was, our, 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 our makeup, makeup design, artist. makeup artist, who managed to transform, you know, Bova into Rosie, Rosie into Bova and, you know, Walter into, in, into Radu. I mean, that, like those ears and the hair and, and, um, and so I was so just amazed in watching the show itself. But that, if, if you think, it, that was one of the more difficult shows for me because at the time I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was pregnant with my daughter, Paige, whom I named after. Oh. And, um, and I had to get up at four in the morning and we would work very late at night because it was, there was so, there was so much um, um, technical work in that. And I had kind of shot myself in the foot because I decided that I was going to change her voice, uh, uh, Davenport's voice to encapsulate the, the hugeness of her knowledge and, and also speak more quickly because because there was just so much happening in her brain. Well, you know. <laughs> that must have been and a challenge on top those. of the British accent. Oh, and on, on, on top of that, right? And so uh, it was, it was, it was a tough, to, I, I, I set myself up and it was a tough act to follow. And so I, I'm, when I'm watched, when I watched the show just recently, I'm killing myself laughing because I remember screwing up the one line in particular over and over and over again because I was just speaking so quickly and I couldn't get you know I, I with the English accent and the head that made me go like this so I had to keep my right. head back you had like, kind of heavy you constantly know? trying to find equilibrium with everything yeah you, you had a lot of uh, techno babble and like a lot of I would imagine paragraphs of dialogue to yeah. memorize and deliver too especially in, in that episode yeah, but in, um, in general also, and to that point, Kat, to, in general, um, Davenport had a lot of the techno, technical babble. Yeah. And then to imbue a, 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 an English accent on top of that. Well, actually, I had a lot of fun because I would change the word schedule to schedule. Um, and of course, the uh, producer's like, is that a word? I'm like, it is. 
you know, and we, I had to go and find it. I had to go find an English person who would say, yeah, 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 we say schedule. You know, we don't say schedule. But I was constantly met up with um, them checking my, just to make sure that I was speaking properly, which was all right. <laughs> I keep it authentic after all. <laughs> yep. That's right. <laughs> well, you, you did touch on one of the questions that we had was, uh, what is it like going back and watching the show as an adult? Because it really has been 26 years. And I mean, I watched one show and I didn't even remember shooting the thing. Like some of the shows were not as good as others, right? There's some that just stay in your mind and other ones was just uh, a day, and a, you know, a week, a week, a week gone by, in my opinion. I mean, it's personal. But uh, what I realized to grow up watching this show they saw all of the human, uh, all of our human um, inadequacies, all of our limitations. And I mean, I learned from watching the show, what, you know, learning, the kids learning how to work together, learning how to, you know, work out with, you know, deal with a, with a, a, a teacher who is absolutely bonkers uh, with fear. And, uh, you know, wow, there's, I don't think there's a show like that in this day and age. I don't think so. I really don't. And uh, I, I was so incredibly um, awestruck by the, 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 you know, Rahi and, and, and uh, Paige's trajectory, you know, their, 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 their growth, their maturity, their embracing so much. I mean, wow, what a great, what a great show. And, you know, hats off to Peter David and Bill Mui, who struck so hard. They had that Bible down pat. It was going to be seven seasons, not five. And, you know, there was a whole seven seasons for seven years and they had it all mapped out, you know, and they knew exactly every season, every episode and how it was going to evolve. Um, and like you said, Anique, it was the writing it was just brilliant. Uh, if I can playful and playful, you know? Yeah. If I can sort of inject a perspective, like watching the episodes as a fan, like as a child and then going back and watching as an adult, I think that, um, I mean, like, like all good science fiction, it, it took some like pretty heavy universal topics and examined them through like the sci-fi lens and made them digestible for kids. So it, it was more than just Star Trek for kids though. Um, like that's a good start to explain it, but there were these additional layers uh, and complexities that, that did make it really special. Um, and at the time I didn't really have the vocabulary to really communicate what that was, but I did definitely oh. sense it. Um, I mean, the show explored topics, you know, in addition to uh, talking about everybody's different cultures, like they talked about racism and slavery and wrongful imprisonment and mortality and dementia. And like, that's mm. a lot of heavy stuff for kids. Um, but ultimately, you know, no and matter what, yeah, and that, literally that's the end of season one, uh, welcome to the end of season one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's heavy stuff, but the, you interject moments of, you know, jokes and, and lighthearted, you know, the friendships and, and everything, all those different layers into it. Um, and no matter what the characters faced, they, you know, they overcame adversity and worked together and learned from each other and grew. And it's just like, the, there's that line in, in the first episode, just like the vacuum of space isn't fair. It can destroy anyone who doesn't have what it takes to survive. And I think that the crew of the Krista would have survived because they had each other ultimately is what it comes down to. Like they put their differences aside, they work together and you could see the evolution of their friendships and, and how they became like a family over time. Yeah, especially as the they sort of, 
Yeah, um, like they accepted each other, like you were saying, flaws and all, like as flawed as they were. And I think that's amazing. Like too often, like I'm gonna get off my soapbox in a second, but like, (laughs) you know, too often, you know, labels and, and differences are used to divide us just as human beings. So I think it's great to have a show that celebrated that spirit of, of unity and cooperation in spite of, you know, oh, there's the pessimist and the optimist and, you know, the, the weird kooky one with the imaginary friend, you know, her head in the clouds, like that really doesn't matter. It's just everybody, all the characters had, you know, heart to them. And that's what I sensed as a kid. And I was, you know, I, I loved the stories and it was fascinating and science fiction, but it was, it was the spirit of the show, I think, that really kept me engaged with it and, and coming back. And what I still appreciate now as an adult, and I can speak to it more eloquently than when I was a kid, just like, I really love this show because the characters are cool and they're friends and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, 10-year-old <laughs> me trying to articulate all these universal concepts, but yeah. I, I think that that's it. And in addition to talked earlier about the series Bible, where there is a backdrop, whether it's spoken in dialogue or not, of this really complex like government and cultures and the colonization of the planets. Like it's a complex world. And you throw in these characters who are complex as well. And just like, here are the, here's the situation and you know, let them go. And mm-hmm. you know, there's conflict there with within the characters and between the characters and you just it could have gone on for seven years plus I mean I hope they would get home but I'm just saying there's just a lot of material there to work with just having these people on a ship together and go like it's the stories kind of I would imagine write themselves at a point when you know the characters really well and um I can't speak for for Peter and Bill but it was just as you know I'm, I'm a bit of a a writer myself and it's just having that playground would seem like a gift I think as an actor too I would assume absolutely totally I actually feel similar with like are you afraid of the dark because you you and I can't have similar similar qualities to us in the sense that we are like the masters of our own shows (laughs) um but like I, I really, I really love the idea that space cases kind of provide that groundwork of like this is a playground where you can you can figure out all these different adventures and that that's what part of you know seeing the show end got me like so teary eyed uh, even just going through the episodes all over again in preparation for this episode I'm like but we're just getting going why can't we keep going <laughs> like yeah. I I could only it just sparks my imagination and trying to wonder well what else are they going to do on their way back home and what is it going to look like once they get back home like I hope I hope one day in some form or another someone like takes the idea and run with it and somehow expand upon it even if it's like in I don't know graphic novel form or comic book or whatever yeah. you whatever yeah. sort of media and we want that series. so badly <laughs> an animated series of space cases i could definitely see that too yeah have the original cast back to all you guys back to to voice your own characters i'm spoiled i, I can't I'm imagine anybody else playing your characters i can't <laughs> i yeah i can't okay so thomas and i were talking about the show um my husband and um and he worked for sinner for many years he was a, a producer um for the animation side of things and he said Oh, there's no way that space cases could be could be animated because because the, the artist would say, oh no no no, I ha- that's too many characters. I don't I can't do that many characters. I can't introduce that many characters. That's just too much drawing. So that we got away with all of that technical stuff. Like Anik, I was watching the show where where you were um, 
it was the show uh, where you're you're you leave the Krista because you uh, yeah yeah we've gone through to the other side. Thank yes. you. Oh yeah, thank you. Because I'm I'm I've and the computer and and I remember they 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 booked the the studio right next to where Mel's where we were and you were up there flying in space and you kept falling <laughs> over because of the the the, the, the wires were and I was like all the work for oh. that show. All Incredible. the technical aspects, Incredible. The green screen, and then Rocky in there, and getting him up on 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 cables, mm. and mm. you know walking or in in space up way up there, like I mean, <laughs> and they had the, the cameras and the cranes work. Oh wow! The sand they had everywhere for the second season, and yeah. you know it was we were just spoiled. We were yeah. spoiled. Yeah. And it yeah. was really, really a, a, a great show, a great show to to play in. It was a playground. Yeah. I mentioned this when we were watching, I think, one of the episodes last time where it's sort of, uh, it predicted Zoom or Skype, you know, before, because a lot of the- Yeah, long distance calls. Call, long distance calls. With characters via the screen. And, you know, uh, there was one episode where I think Katie Seagal was like voicing one of the characters, yep. uh, mother. Yeah, she was small, yep. yeah. Uh, yeah. Right, and then there was the episode of the um, the doppelgangers. You know, that was all. It was just we were we were skyping. You Evil know, with twins, guest, yeah. uh, guest yeah. starring characters. Yeah. <laughs> it's very so, cutting edge for yeah. the time with its yeah, graphics yeah. and that ideas as well. Would not, we're just now sort of with the pandemic embracing. <laughs> Right. That technology. I mean, first, the first on. episode, I read CGI and I looked up and went, what the hell is that? Yeah. Yeah. Computer generated images. I mean, Nickelodeon had not done a lot of, I think, C. I mean, maybe Are You Afraid of the Dark, obviously, probably had some, but yeah. to the extent not that these cases had yeah. uh, was, you know, I think at first, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because you had your animated shows and then you had shows mm -hmm. like All That, which was sketch comedy alex mack i think probably did obviously cgi yeah um it was limited to the puddle though like the puddle, her yeah, that was to the puddle. Well, puddle in the, the laser zaps yep. things like yeah. that yeah I mean, all due respect you know, to that show. <laughs> but yeah space cases was really um uh groundbreaking in, in that regard i, I think yeah. for a show to a, a kid show uh to embrace that type of cgi and and at the same time sort of be able to rely on the strength of the dialogue and the stories because it's not like we were going around like shooting each other with like lasers um you know there was it was there was action involved there was a lot of running and um uh acrobatics i think especially like on walter's harlan's part um like he was an actual martial artist and so they would integrate that into the show and it was really cool watching him just uh on the set um but you know, there we weren't sort of fighting each other. It wasn't that kind. It was more of a star. It hewed closer to Star Trek uh, in that it was much more character driven, um, which was cool. So you guys, yeah, you didn't have weapons on the ship. You know, you no. didn't have phasers or anything. No guns. It was all fighting the obstacles and, and fighting yeah. the obstacles and thinking your way out of them. And I mean, I guess Paige and Rahi, you you know, you had. Uh, if you're gonna i always wondered about if you're gonna take some of your your crew on an away mission and you're potentially going to encounter danger you wouldn't want the ones that resort to hand-to-hand -hand combat there as your first line of defense right you'd want the ones that shoot electricity and heat and like 
your kids because like you were the youngest of the, of the crew you were generally you know your characters were left behind um at end of season one you jump in and save the day but you know they brought in you know radu and harlan and cat and, and goddard and thelma were on you know the sister ship and then you know boba was complaining it's like you know why he never lets us off this ship he thinks we're too young to do the job <laughs> and you're just there like complaining about it and you're ultimately you know you go up against uh you know warlord shank and just toast him you know like yeah i remember talking small to and mighty, David, you know? who you know i was like trying to sort of explore the possibilities in terms of my powers you know um you know hey so this boba is he you know is he able to shoot electricity from his fingertips and peter david was very sort of adam no it's it's just from his antennae, like he's not. But you, know, you had, you did, you know, I watched, I watched, you know, all, all of season one and I couldn't get through it all, but you had so much more on in both you and, and uh, Paige, you had so much more on the second season. You actually used your powers, whereas at the beginning mm -hmm. you didn't so much. So I was very, that's, that's what I mean about the trajectory and the, that I think, I think you reminded perhaps the writers that that um you know you also have special powers and that you can also help in this situation because i i noticed a big change in terms of you like you know spitting the red ball at reaver um yeah uh, you got uh, gutsy right there's a and, lot of uh, character growth there for both of yeah. yeah a lot more yeah to get rid of the vines and stuff like that rahi yeah. that was hilarious yeah. Well, uh, Rahi had touched on this uh, a couple of times, and I'm going to shift this question uh, to Paul first, and then we'll branch it out to the rest. But almost every character, if not every character, played a different version of themselves at some point, uh, whether they turn into Spung or uh, some other variation. Uh, Paul, what was it like to play a Spung? It was just this wacky character that Carrie knows what you were there with me when we did this this spunk stuff and yeah and it was just animalistic uh kind of well like, it was it was actually fun how we started that you know well, we started the scratching we didn't know what was going on and so it was very it was this the slow lead and then all of a sudden we were these lizards yeah it was it was lizard stuff i mean it, <laughs> We we had a lot of fun. We created we a lot of, tons of fun, especially with the worms and the and and that big circle thing with the you know <laughs> go around and around and, uh, like pog containers. Yeah, oh, exactly. You know, <laughs> I, I think it was actually the most fun I had in all the episodes. Playing was playing that that spun character. Um, yeah, when we got to ham it up, I loved it. When we got to ham it up, I mean, and that's all I did was ham it up. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't, there was no depth to him at all. It was, he uh, liked worms and, uh, you know, wanted to eat children, I guess. I mean, if you wanted an analogy, it was that he became the, the, the really bad side of Goddard. The, mm -hmm. the side that Nickelodeon didn't want anybody to see. <laughs> Rated S for Spong. <laughs> I, I had I just remember having so much fun playing him because it was there were no holds barred. I just uh, I went all out with it, and nobody nobody said anything else to me. Nobody said, "Hey, don't do that; it's too much," or whatever. I just they let me go. Both Carrie and I seemed to just to have a blast with it. 
we actually, again, we were, we were allowed to kind of create our own thing. We said, how about we do this? And how about we climb through this? Because they weren't quite sure how to... Well, it was yeah, that, to, and our, our relationship when we became spun was, 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 was really rough. <laughs> you were, you were the, the scene in the tube and we get stuck in the tube and we don't know we don't we don't oh, know yeah, how we're to like fighting very animalistic and and, and <laughs> creeped and creep cat out apparently <laughs> i don't know that was yeah i mean you see like the the adults on the ship were kind of like the parental figures after a while and to see like the more aggressive side of somebody that you're you count on to get you through seven years of being a teenager in space and you know help you survive like the fact that they are then attacking you like that's that's uh you know that's that's a, that's a concern <laughs> to put it mildly um you know how do you how do you fight them how do you turn them back you know, is there a way and then at that point the kids had to figure it out themselves without the help of well you know, it, their, their caregivers essentially I, I, the script itself gave me a hint on how to proceed with a very white kind of voice was this was the direction <laughs> was it really very white yes <laughs> and i did my best and i could not come even close to barry but i did my best and that's what that's what I tried to dis- oh, no. Silky. You know, you know, Barry White. I mean, he's Mr. Silky. <laughs> Deep sex. Silkworm. Silk oh, no. oh, gosh. Oh, no. That, that actually was a stage direction in the script. So that was my hint. Where to go with him. I was very nervous at first because I was in a, a, a um, semi-quasi-comfortable place with Thelma. And uh, the challenge I had had with Thelma was I never really had really any interaction with the other characters, like deep. When Paul says, you know, there was no depth. Well, let me tell you, Thelma, mm-mm, not very deep. Um, and I'll a lot of techno. disagree later, but continue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of techno babble as well. Um, so I don't know. Um, overall, uh it was really fun. It was really nerve wracking because I, I was like, I'm exposing the human side of Thelma. What does that mean? I had no idea. And I had one episode to do it. And then when I watched the episode, I said to this to Kat the other day, I said, it's, it's like I was uh, all about playing and being silly and joyful, suddenly having this big PMS breakdown in the middle of the Krista and saying, I miss you, I miss you. So it was like, whoa. But she was definitely high in emotions because she, my, for me, my inner secret that I had chosen with Thelma was that she always wanted to be human because she wanted to be with the others as a Mm. family, but she was always in the background. Um, so it allowed me to to kind of do that and and go out outside the box emotionally, but when you watch it, you're like, whoa, okay, interesting. It's <laughs> it's like um, seeing petals unfold. I remember yeah. you struggled with that. I remember you struggled with that because she really wanted to do right by Thelma, by becoming a human and and you know you say earlier discovering that you, don't have, you don't have feelings. I don't know what it is to feel and and then you know do I have empathy and stuff and so you had to put that all in one episode and it's hard it's hard and I I don't think sometimes I 
I, I question whether the, 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 the writing enabled you to really kind of go as far as you, 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 you should have gone or could have gone, I guess, not, not should have, but could have gone. You know? Right. Bella had some really deep moments, even when you were, you know, when she was Robot. an android. Yeah. Like yeah. there was one episode, um, it's my birthday too, where Radu wants to have a birthday. He doesn't know when his birthday is. Um, and he's crying because the, you know, the crew found out um, that you know, he just, he just wanted to belong. He made up his own birthday. Um, and Thelma, Radu is, is basically lamenting, like never, you know, not having a family. And Thelma says, well, it's always been, um, oh, I'm going to butcher the quote and it's so beautiful. It's always Hold been on. my understanding that a family is not only those from whom you were born, but those mm. to whom you belong. And then she looks mm. like Radu kind of looks at her and she's like, did I screw up too? And like, that was such a profound mm. thing for Thelma to say. And she didn't even realize what that was. And Absolutely. another moment, like she talks to Catalina about friendship when Catalina is fighting with Susie about the comet in one episode that they, you know, discovered together. And um, it's like, oh, do all friends fight? It's like, well, you know, they they fight because they care and you know she kind of is you know with Elma's trying to process this and and what does that mean and you know I I, I just think that there are a couple of moments even in um, um, break on through to the other side where you know Thelma comes you know Thelma feels rejected by the crew and she like mm -hmm. that she's useless and then comes back like she's you know does she feel she asks she's like I don't know if I you know, was was feeling human emotions or yeah. or if I'm simply emulating human emotions and then Davenport says well maybe I can help you figure it out so I think there's mm -hmm. an interesting link there Davenport went inside the computer Thelma turned human like there's an interesting dynamic there that they can explore um even Susie too has been, you know, seen the side of a machine and been in Thelma's mind and knows what it's like to be alive. So there was a lot of, you know, looking back as an adult, I'm like, there are storylines here that I really wish they had explored mm -hmm. a little more. There's just so you much see, depth. This is mm -hmm. just what I said before. I mean, on the surface, Space Cases just looks like a slapstick happy show or, you know, silly show, but there's so much depth to it. And I think it's, 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 it's uh, the tribute is to the writing, but also to our, our, each of us as actors, our investment into creating a real solid grounding from which to, 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 to grow and to, to, to explore and experiment. And, you know, that, that we all had that seed and it was just, it was growing as it went and it just got stopped. Okay. Too mm. soon. Right. There's always right. hope for the future. <laughs> so for the lasting legacy, uh, in terms of how the show has lived on through fans, conventions, media, social media, et cetera, um, how does it feel to have passionate fans connect with you, keep the spirit of the show alive through their dedication all these years? If I may, I'll keep this brief, but as Canadian actors, extremely heartwarming because we're certainly not used to this big either Hollywood or stardom kind of thing. We, 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 we tend to work uh, because we're passionate about the art form and blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly when the internet started to blow up uh, and people started reaching out uh, through, through Facebook and, and Instagram and stuff, it's very heartwarming very heartwarming it's like wow you mean my work perhaps really touched someone's heart that's that's just lovely to hear you know and it's it, i always thank the fans when they reach out because it's meaningful to know that as an actor and it's nice that they actually take the time to do that 
Yeah, I, I echo exactly what Annie said, uh, has just said that, that, you know, there is no fan base up here in Canada. There's, you know, we do our thing. People recognize us maybe. There's a little bit more of a fan base on the French side of things, but when when Facebook started, that's when the fans started looking for us. And I was I was awestruck. I, I was, wow, you're, wow, you watched it and you, you you're seeking us out. It's like, I yes, humbling, humbling. I'm humbled um, by 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 it all. And uh, and I think after watching the show all these years later, I can understand. I understand the impact that the show had on uh, on the audience. It's, yeah, it makes sense. This question I think would probably be best suited for Kat. And that is what makes Space Cases an important piece of 90s Nick history to you? I guess tying into a sort of legacy, what I see as, as a legacy, it feeds into that. Um, sort of an easy question to answer, but hard one to explain because, um, you know, this is obvious, this is a, a weird sort of full circle moment for me in a way. Like I, I'm a fan of the show, um, but one of the most important things that it gave me was a sense of belonging, like through watching mm. the characters on screen and as a kid to know that it's okay to be my weird, wonderful self. And yes, people are going to doubt me, but I also, you know, who, who cares, you know, prove them wrong. Um, and, and as an adult, with, uh, you know, the resurgence of sort of 90s nostalgia and, uh, you know, heavy stuff going on all over the world and, and communication being limited to internet and Zoom, um, the show helped me connect with some amazing people, like, over the years, too, but especially recently, um, who've become very close friends, and we formed our own little crew of, of you know, misfits in a way, and it's a group of authentic people, and you know, we accept each other weirdness and all. So, mm -hmm. uh, I just feel really grateful for the show, and like that's that's a really awesome legacy to have, you guys. Like, <laughs> I, I'm just I just want to express my gratitude, like over and over again. You know, thank you for for your work on this this wonderful show, and and I wish I uh, I wish the rest of the cast and some of the crew and Peter and Bill and, and others were here too. I'd love to speak with them about it too, just to thank them. Um, because yeah, it was definitely the spirit of the show was was all about being yourself, working together, um, unity, and overcoming obstacles. And you know, to be talking about it twenty some years later with you know some of the cast is it's it's you know if I were to go back if I were to tell my ten year old self that she would be doing this, she her head would explode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, yeah, this is. Yeah, a little difficult for me to wrap my head around, but um, yeah, um, just thank you guys. Of course, thank you for sharing that, and it just thank makes you, me Kat. just makes me think of like how how even we connected too, because when we were coming up with topics for season two, we had a whole bunch of different ideas, and then in the back of my head, I just. I saw space cases for whatever reason, and that got me thinking and then connecting with you, Catherine, and then kind of branching out from there. And, you know, it, it may be, it may be a little bit out there and a little bit in the undercurrent of like nineties Nickelodeon nostalgia, but it's still, it's still oh, like yeah. a hidden gem and a, and something that's really worth people's attention. So I urge anyone who's listening this to go back and see what makes it so special. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting sci-fi show. It's got a lot of quirkiness, but also it has a lot of heart and layers to it. And I feel like it just gets better every time you view it. Like you get a deeper understanding as a result. And I think, you know, 
for being that kind of safe space for social outcasts or like, you know, people who are a little bit unusual compared to everyone else. It's, it's just a, a bastion and a beacon of hope and light and togetherness that I love about this. And I, I really resonate a lot with that story and how all of you come together through, through the show. And I do want to reiterate to all of you Slimesters and Gakoids who are interested in checking the show out, you're not going to find it on Paramount+. Plus. You're not going to find it on a streaming service. Uh, nobody has done anything with it, unfortunately, but you can find it on YouTube and you can find it on Dailymotion as of now. Uh, that, that may change, but it's been there for a while. So the quality is not great because it's recorded from old VHS tapes. Uh, it hasn't been done with the latest technology, but still check it out and, and give some love. What was you going to say, Kat? My episodes are not the ones on those uh, <laughs> outlets. However, when we're doing show and tell, Ooh. I have my original VHS tapes, 25 awesome. years old. Um, oh, so. yes. Go, go, going along uh, the show and tell, uh, Brett had asked earlier if anybody had any uh, trinkets or, or clothes or anything that they had kept from props from the show. And... Uh, I know Kat had just shared her VHS tapes, and I think Anik has got something for us. Oh, I don't know if you can uh, see oh this. No. Uh oh. Turn off your virtual background. Oh, there it is. The jumpsuit? Oh, oh. No, it's a jean jacket. Is ah. it a jean jacket? Yeah, it's a jean yeah. shirt. Jean cool. shirt, that's right. Yeah. We had a jean, jean jacket. Shirt. We had a jean jacket also. Okay. We also had a jean jacket. I don't have it. I still anymore. have a sweatshirt, which my daughter Georgia has at the university. She, as soon as she saw it, she stole it, and I never saw it again. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And then I have this Star Academy pin here. Which, oh, we love that. It's awesome. Yeah, isn't that great? It's the Space Cases logo from the title screen. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 It's the Star Academy, and we had it, all these had all in our jackets on our jackets, and and the last. Uh, show uh, day of the show, I very very quietly took it off and popped it in my bag. <laughs> and the jean shirt, each one of us had one because we had to wear it uh, while we were on a break because we couldn't eat food and have that food stain our costumes. So that jean shirt, that's right, that's right. But, well, they made but, me tons of clothes because I kept getting bigger. <laughs> In my pregnancy. So yeah, poor Trixie Rittenhouse. My hats off to her, our yeah. costume lady. She, uh, she'd come in, she's like, okay, I'll add another two inches. Okay, I'll add another two inches here. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic of makeup and wardrobe. Just being oh, able to configure things in such a way that you know, place tricks uh, to the camera eye to. Well, just I, make it I wasn't normal. showing. I wasn't showing at all. But but uh, but there was parts of my body that were were growing exponentially, but not my stomach. Um, huh. So uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's other stories to be told about that, but I don't know what age group people are uh, watching. Chances are most of them are around our age. Oh yeah. And well, I, I just remember Radu, and it was before. I, I actually didn't want to say anything at the beginning um, and I'm not Radu. Yes, Radu, Christian. And he's, he's, Christian's quite short, right? He's a tiny guy. He's about five foot something. And um, I'm on set and he's like staring right at <laughs> my front. And, and I was a little lopsided at the beginning. And he said, yo, Carrie, what's up with your dick? <laughs> 
Uh, and of course I went, I don't know, it's, you know, it's that time of month or, you know, whatever. Um, but of course, yeah, and that's what happens. Sometimes you can sort of grow in different and wonderful ways when you're first pregnant. So yeah. But Space anyway. gravity's off. I uh, just wanted to mention this in our episode for a moment that uh, if you, if you've been following our episode so far, you notice that there's quite a few connections to Are You Afraid of the Dark and some other shows that were you know, kind of in the sci-fi realm of space cases. So if you're interested in hearing a little bit more about that, we, Alex and I have some um, little bit tidbits that we found uh, while we were doing our research. So if you're kind of curious, uh, here's a few facts that we've dug up for you that may connect to Are You Afraid of the Dark or other 90s Nick shows or other sci-fi shows. Uh, starting off, we have uh, composers Jeff Fisher and Ray Fabee uh, and production manager Real Peru, who was also on Are You Afraid of the Dark? So it's fun to see them again working on this show as well. Uh, in addition, we also had Sheena Larkin as the Star Academy principal in episode 16, Long Distance Calls, who played various roles across Are You Afraid of the Dark Tales, most notably Nanny from The Tale of the Lonely Ghost. Uh, we also have Chip Chuipka as Reaver uh, in the same episode, who is also Ian Keegan in Are You Afraid of the Dark's The Tale of Cutter's Treasure. And Anique Chartier was also the lead makeup artist here and in Are You Afraid of the Dark? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossover going on. Um, as we also mentioned, uh, Anique Matern, who was one of our guests, Thelma, she was also actually a character in Are You Afraid of the Dark? If you go back to the tale of the Silver Sight from season seven, you'll notice that she plays Miss Gregory, who's heir to the original Midnight Society member, Eleanor Gregory's Fortune. We also have Jewel State, who played Catalina uh, in Space Cases, but also played Kelly in The Tale of the Watcher's Woods and Cody in The Tale of the Unfinished Painting in Are You Afraid of the Dark? In addition, we also have some props reused from Are You Afraid of the Dark as set pieces. For example, the veiny walls in the crisp that actually resembled the panels in The Tale of the Closet Keepers uh, for that elevator leading to the spaceship. And if you look very closely in episode 17, uh, I believe is uh, King of the Hill. You'll see uh, Goff's Cobra staff there just repurposed with a silver ball in its mouth uh, for Harlan to use to like rule, rule the species on that tropical planet. So that's pretty neat to see. Uh, I'm sure Goff is missing that. <laughs> um, in addition, we have Goddard and Davaport turning into Spung. Their makeup does remind me a lot of the tailors with their reptilian skin from season two's The Tale of the Hatching in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Um, if you look closely at the jump tubes that all the characters go through, you'll notice that they look very, very similar to the one seen in another sci-fi season of Power Rangers, which is Power Rangers in Space, season six. Uh, Co-creator Bill Mummy also happened to voice Dr. Brainchild in the Ren and Stimpy episode, Blazing Entrails. So it's funny that there's a space case Ren and Stimpy connection deeper than simply space madness and space cases stealing their spot on SNCC. Um, James Bradford, another actor who was on Are You Afraid of the Dark, he played Shandu in The Tale of Magician's Assistant. He ended up playing um, Dram, Dram the Knight in episode 11, The Impossible Dream. And he was also General Lane Candle in Silver Sight. Uh, we also have Edie, who reminds me of a cross between Harry and the Hendersons and Bebo from Powerpuff Girls with its insatiable appetite and big furry, what do you call that? Just fur. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's it's pretty wild because the more he eats, the more like monstrous he becomes, and it reminds me exactly of that Powerpuff Girl episode. Uh, it also reminds me a bit of uh, Pudgy Pig from Power Rangers with its 
you know, endless appetite. Um, we mentioned before in the episode that Miss Davenport's uh, cranium in the episode Both Sides Now is similar to Jim's in The Head Saves the Earth from MTV's Oddities. And also Katie Segal, who voiced Ma in the episode Mothers Know Best, uh, was also known for her voice work as Taranga Leela in the sci-fi animated series Futurama, which aired in 1999. Not too much longer. And I have one to add to your list. Oh. Uh, because you had mentioned the staff for Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. The little crystal ball that the, uh, it's not crystal, but the, the ruby ball that the, the snake had in its mouth for the mm-hmm. staff, is that same one can be seen as a staff that uh warlord shank oh that's right yeah it's it's housed in his weird like staff gun thing yeah Mm -hmm. that's interesting so there's there's a whole bunch of uh you know easter eggs for fans who like cross over between space cases and already afraid of the dark so all the more reason to go watch the series well uh thank you all for joining us for uh, this Space Cases retrospective. But before we go, we're going to do a segment that you all, Slimesters and Gakoids, are familiar with called This or That. So roll the jingle. This or that, this or that, time to play this or that. So for this or that, we're basically going to ask our our esteemed guests a couple of questions based on Space Cases, and we'll just find out which one they prefer. Uh, So starting off, um, we're going to do this one uh do any of you prefer season one or season two season one season one season two season one man season one i was in more of them (laughs) (laughs) right season two probably but the the ones that i got to spend with paul uh but but season two probably just because pedro is older yeah and uh you uh, your characters, uh, Bova and Rosie, definitely did a lot more like actiony things too. So, makes sense, especially on that jungle yeah, planet. Was, uh, we it was we also we had a lot of guest stars in. I mean, both seasons, but season two. Remember, we had like like I mentioned, like Kate Kesa called it the voice, even though she wasn't on set. But there was like Robin Leach, uh, yes, Michelle Trachtenberg. Oh yeah, and uh, Danny Tamborelli. Game, which was they, that was like such a fun. Because they're really fun, cool people, and I was sort of really, you know, I I, I was star starstruck when I, when I obviously when I met Walter, and then obviously with Anik as well, I was starstruck because I I was familiar with her work um, on Nickelodeon doing the animated shows, and so but I I didn't know at that time until she like she busted out the one of the characters once, and I was just like oh my god, like you're, you know, you did the voice of like that show, um, and so because you know uh, Sinar did a lot of the uh, anime shows um, that uh, aired on Nickelodeon that that I watched because you know I was a kid, and so. Uh, but they were, it was really fun, like seeing them uh, and meeting them on set. Uh, you know, they're really fun people. And so it's fun characters, too. Definitely. What I want to know is how little Pete and Nona got themselves in this space. <laughs> Did we miss an episode of Pete and Pete here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The crossover episode. They used well, a Krebs star rocket ship to aboard the Krista. There you go. Because like you just want it's not like they announced it really, too. I just I think I remember like just one day they were on set and they were they were the ones who were oh. chosen to play these characters. And you're That's like, wow. Right. Like, That's right. Can I get your autograph? Wow. Are you visiting? The, oh, you're playing a character? Wow. Okay. So 
yeah, it sounds like they were just walking by and they they threw some slinkies on their heads and got them a robe and say, here, here are your lines, just get yeah, them, it doesn't matter. So they film, are you afraid of the dark over on that side of the set? Oh, you're on, you're, you're filming space cases. Okay, wow. Okay. That must are have been you lost? The other set is that way. Oh, you're on our show. <laughs> oh, you're, you're our little show. <laughs> we replaced Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's okay. They're in a black hole. It doesn't matter now. <laughs> Se- second question. Catalina or Susie? Oh no, that's not fair. Yeah, I can't answer that. <laughs> no uh, one can answer that. Question like that. Yeah, no. yeah, can't, can't answer, answer that. that. They were both such a treasure to have, but yeah. either, and they gave both such different that's qualities right. and. That's right. uh, yeah. They're both that, lovely. Both of them are lovely. That Just, is the correct answer. I was going to say unanimous <laughs> tie. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Krista or a tropical planet. Both were fun. It's another like both. Like the Krista was fun, and that tropical planet with everything it had—the uh, wonder, the mysteries, the vines, the the little people, the the other aliens—was really fun too. Yeah, both. I'll say both as well. Both I, as well. I, I would say both, but I but I I I felt. I felt very at home in the Krista. The, literally, yeah, yeah. The Krista was home. I think, especially when we went back toward the latter part of season two was sort of a very kind of welcome transition. It was fun being on that planet um, and, and being able to sort of use that uh, set and landscape uh, in scenes and, you know, the vines. And I think one of the episodes, like you mentioned, I uh, shot down the vines with my electricity, but yeah. uh, being on the Krista was, it was cool. And it was just, it was fun that the show was able to sort of like, okay, it's hard, like they're trapped in space you know, you can't, obviously they're not going to have us land on different planets, but that they were able to sort of do that. But then in a, uh, in a clever way, have us sort of back on the ship was cool. What was so funny is the set, the set was so small. Like, I mean, there was just one hallway <laughs> with a, with a one that went off at an angle and it's just the different angles that the director of photography managed to put together to make it look like this huge ship. But it was really small little rooms, man. Camera angles. Yeah. It's quite an impressive feat when you think about it, because it feels from the viewer's perspective watching the TV like you're exploring all these different parts of the ship. And you know, when you see like the stage in reality, it's like, oh, where's the rest of it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh number four, Elmira or Warlord Shank. Elmira, I'll say just because I got to, you know, work with her. I don't yeah, it wasn't in many of the scenes of Warlord Shank. So I have to, I have to agree. That, I mean, I had very few. Um, just sitting with with uh, George, just waiting to go on set, but I didn't have any real big scenes with him. And Elmira's, uh, yeah. However, like party, partying with George was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he's really, he has that sort of really, you know, I can't remember. It was like Gilbert Godfrey, you know, he doesn't actually sound like that character that he plays, yeah. like Iago and Aladdin. Like he actually has like a different voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is true of, you know, some uh, uh, actors who who play these types of characters. I don't know if it's the same with who was the guy from Police Academy, but George Sakai really has this sort of baritone, uh, you know, really commanding presence and and voice, and he just projects. And so when he was in a room, it was like he, he you know, he was George Shakai, he was Warlord Shank, he was 
you know, he, he was all the characters he sort of plays, but he's very, just such a distinct person and persona. It's so funny because he's just kind of taken on this really, um, this whole sort of different kind of level of, of fame and personality because of social media and his Twitter account. Like he's really prolific on social media. Um, and, uh, but he, he was a really cool person, but yeah, Elmira, just cause, you know, she, I think she was, she was closer to in age to, to Paige and I and Christian and I think we had more scenes with her. Um, Talk about makeup. Wow. That girl. I mean, she that was had, intense. That was, yeah. her, her hair was really red and beautiful, but I mean, all oh, the blue and the green, I mean, wow. And green her is eyes hard to keep <sighs> on your face. I mean, they had to do, Anique, yeah. I think, had to do different layers to get the right color. Oof. Yeah. George she, had a mask. She, George had a, he had a, not a mask, but he had a. a, a prosthetics. Prosthetic. She did not. She just had it here. And ah. the rest was all oh. her, her. And she was such a, a soft, gentle character compared to him. Mm. Uh, she was welcoming, you know. Uh, and then to see the romance that she had with Red, with uh, Christian was really, uh, really mm. something. It was nice. It was like, ooh, something's going on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was hoping yeah. it would progress to something more, but it was just like to the degree of pen pals by season two, just to keep it on <laughs> people's radar. Yeah, right. Well, and uh, that's the thing. The show was really clever because it was a kid's show, um, but they were able to sort of explore that, um, sort of this like young, you know, young love or... Um, you know, in, in a way that was like consistent, obviously with like Nickelodeon um, mm -hmm. and the, the programming that it was striving for that was like very kid friendly um, and uh, platonic. Um, but it was, it was just in a really kind of clever, natural way. They were able to sort of express that angle between those two characters. Final question. And, and this is kind of in line with, if you got to choose one of these to possess, which one would it be? Would you rather have Rosie's powers or Bova's powers? I had Bova's powers. I'd never need a power cord or charger ever again <laughs> for any electronics ever. Yeah, good point. Walking with a solar pa panel. Is like... Well, yeah. there's that. The heat is nice, though. I tell you, once I'm in a sauna, I don't want to get out. So I don't know. <laughs> I think, again, give me a bit of both. But I have, if I had to choose one, I think I'd go with, in today's world, with uh with radus i think i could just say something about catalina's power for a second like i look at maybe i'm overanalyzing but um you know it's sort of the subversion of like the the stereotype of a girl screaming in the face of danger right she has a sonic scream but she can weaponize it mm. so i always thought that was very cool so maybe i'm reading too much into that but you know her power is her voice and she can use it as a tool for like echolocation or at one point um, and use it quite literally in her defense or, you know, offensively as a weapon. So yeah. And well, you know, when I was a kid, I thought it was cool because it sounded, I, it sounded like she was screaming into a fan. Um, and I tried that, but boy, were my parents not happy when I tried that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you actually tried that? <laughs> oh, I screamed into a fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> 10 year old me. <laughs> Spitting out a fireball. I think that is just an incredible. We saw that once, and nobody would know it was you. You just 
and then you just walk away the other way, you know? No. Well, I want to know is why all the aliens, like all the alien beings from other species, they all had superpowers, but Harlan Band had no superpowers. He had charm, <laughs> leadership, acrobatics. Yeah. Well, I think I think it was weird that that the show you referred to them as their powers, but if they come from you know a planet where everybody has the same you know, abilities, it's not. I don't think it's considered special then if you know if you grow up in that environment. So the mm -hmm. kids think that certain things are novel to to them, like you know Boba can't you know produce heat or whatever, and Rosie can't shoot electricity. But I think back home it would just be like a normal everyday mm -hmm. thing. So I always thought the power, the term power, we're using my powers for something like, because they can get them into trouble too. Um, you know, a lot of times were, the kids don't necessarily know how to use their powers effectively sometimes, which mm -hmm. I think was also an interesting thing that was explored. And they were judicious, like, you know, it's like the uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, if, if the eagles were in sort of every scene or the eagles like took the characters to Mount Doom to drop the ring off, be like there'd be no suspense or, you know, if our characters were, were going around just using our powers willy nilly, I think it would uh, uh, derogate from sort of the, the, the focus on the the characters sort of the, the inner conflicts and their interactions and at the end of the day it was a lot of it was it was like a coming of age story these characters and sort of their you know awkward teenage phases and sort of their their rebellious personalities and to cat's point they were misfits and they didn't fit in and um and so you know how do you sort of squeeze in powers it's sort of but but in show i think the show was very consciously and wisely um selective in, in the way it sort of chose to uh, express oh, yeah. Using your powers, yeah. powers only when needed, you know, when yeah. needed, not only, but when needed, using your powers when needed, which made it a, a less violent show in that mm. way. Yeah. And budgetary constraints, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how much it costs, yeah. but like Rosie's fire, or like my electricity, or, you know, to CGI that, I'm sure it was probably, you know. It was a lot. Pretty penny. I, I, I know, I, I've, I've met the, a lot of people who worked on um, space cases over the last years. I'm sure you have too, Anique, you know, coming on set and someone will come up and go, uh, hello, Ms. Davenport. And I'm like, what? You know, and, and uh, <laughs> but just, and I, I, I was still very close with a couple of them who, one of them was, he did a lot of the, uh, the like the electrics, you know, the, the sparks and the, the, the purple eyes and stuff, all those special effects. Uh, yeah, or the guy. lightning. You remember the light? They would do lightning effect, and mm -hmm. um, we had to wear like uh, earplugs. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, there was a lot of that. Thank you for all your answers for this or yes. that. Yes. Slime Sears and Gakoids. You may remember we did this before, all the way back in episode nine, Nick's Thanksgiving's Fest. But we're bringing it back because we have some exciting news to share with you. So, without further ado, here's our segment that you forgot we had, but is now back. Nick Newsreel. And now it's time for a Nick Newsreel. We have two new exciting uh, news tidbits to share with you. So first up on our newsreel, we have some news about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, all of you, I'm sure, are chomping at the bit to 
hear about season three, but it's now confirmed. You know, after the success of Carnival of Doom and Curse of the Shadows, we now have a third reboot miniseries that is on the docket uh, for Nick Nickelodeon that's coming up. And it's titled, Are You Afraid of Dark Ghost Island? Uh, reportedly, it's going to be about four episodes in the miniseries uh, versus like the six in season two and the three in season one. So I'm curious to see how that unfolds. Uh, it will be based on a fun vacation at a resort island. And it will include new members, Kayla, who is played by Telsey Huynh uh, from Modern Love. Max, who is played by Connor Sherry from The Devil You Know. Leo, who is played by Luca Padovan from The School of Rock Musical. Summer, who is played by Dior Goodjohn, who is from Ahead of the Class. Ferris, and Ferris, who is played by Chance Hurstfield from A Million Little Things. Julian Curtis from Wishman also stars as Stanley Crane the hotel manager at the Island Resort. Hmm, Stanley Crane. I wonder if that has a connection to Stanley the Innkeeper from season six of The Tale of Vampire Town. What do you think, Alex? Could be any Easter eggs from the original series in this, maybe? Well, I mean, we had Sardell in the last one, and uh, we also had Laura Bertram, who came in as, a, as an adult for the late series and was in the original. So I can absolutely see a, a slight Easter egg in there. Sounds like it's possible. Hopefully we see a fan favorite in some uh, more little nods to Are You Afraid of the Dark's Past with this latest offering that'll be out later this year. So uh, check that out. It's also going to be run by JT Billings, who also did The Curse of the Shadows, along with uh, Ben Ben David Grabinski. Yep. And uh, Dean Israel right as well. And uh, going along with our Nick Newsreel, we do have one more bit of news, uh, much to my dismay for anybody who turned, tuned into the Nick Jr. episode, which oh, goodness, is a ton of you. That, that's our second most downloaded and viewed episode, which is holy my ugh. Who'd have thought? Yeah, of all things, which is amazing. I think it's so cool. Yeah. But you are well aware of my my complete dissatisfaction with the character face, but he is obviously <laughs> loved by many, 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 many people. So much so that they're bringing him back. Uh, they have confirmed that the 90s Nick Jr. mascot face is coming back for Faces Music Party, which essentially is a music variety show combining live action and animation. It sounds like they're doing it very much in the style of Kids Bop, where they're taking popular songs and they're repurposing them uh, to sound more contemporary. Uh, and of course, the songs are probably going to be like various nursery rhymes and things like that. And they're going to have contemporary artists come in to do things with them and do music videos. And that is pretty much it. It's just going to be a little musical romp featuring the night, uh, pleasant character face. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to unfold because usually on the Nick Jr. bumpers, uh, it was just, you know, him making different facial expressions and maybe occasionally there'd be like an object or two that would pop up that he talks about. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe if he's singing, there'll be like, you know, the bouncing ball with the words underneath him with some like trumpets or guitars or drums or whatever on the side to like help encourage people to like, you know, grab these instruments, sing along, you know, we're teaching about music. So, you know, bang a drum, play a toy trumpet, whatever, uh, you know, just get in on the fun. So I'm curious to see how it unfolds. Cool. Well, for those who are Nick Jr. fans or, you know, our parents now and have kids who love Nick Jr., look forward to that. Face is making a comeback and he's going to be more smiling than ever. 
<laughs> that about does it for our Nick Newsreel. Well, it's that time to set sail and hopefully head back to the Star Academy. But uh, thank you all for joining us for the Space Cases Retrospective, where we go galactic to see the series overview with our lovely guests. Thank you, guests, for being here today. We definitely appreciate your time and your wisdom and your expertise on the show. And we like to pose the question out to our Slimesters and Gatoids. What do you love most about Space Cases, Slimesters and Gatoids? Uh, if you're dying to share, you know, your favorite characters, your memories, or any episodes, just let us know at uh, splatattack2021 at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram at splatattackpodcast. Uh, you know, if we get a lot of great responses, you may hear yours in a future Monus mailbag segment. Uh, <laughs> other than that, you can check out our Patreon for exclusive bonus content, including bonus episodes, behind the scenes, live streams every month. Those are pretty fun. Um, at patreon.com slash splatattack. Uh, you can also buy some shirts or mugs at Bonfire to help support this uh, podcast, like the ones we're all wearing. Uh, Kat's wearing one too. Looks great. Uh, at bonfire.com slash store slash splatattack store. A lot of S's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you can interact with us if you... Um, if you want to like get an extra edge and see like this visually, instead of just listen to it on your podcast platform of choice uh, to head over to our YouTube channel at Splat Attack Podcast. Uh, other than that, if you want to dig a little bit deeper into the show, check out the website spacecases.spacecasestv.com uh, um, or the Bill Mooney interview of Archive American Television to learn more about the show. Uh, so. Now that spring break is over, tune in next time as we graduate from the Star Academy and land safely back to Earth to attend Nick Takes Over Your School 2, 1999. After the positive reception of the first one back in episode 10, we connected with the winner of this particular event uh, a little while back. Um, and, you know, despite the fact that we didn't have much information on this year, when we did that first episode, we were thrilled to get more you know, from that random connection. So you don't want to miss that. The follow-up to one of our beloved episodes with that one infamous moment. <laughs> it, it, uh, was, it was so fortuitous because we had just finished the episode and then we were both going, oh, we have nothing about the year 99. And then I found the winner via social media. I was like, okay, can you please come shed some light on this? And, sh and they're more than happy. So stick around for the next episode. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. I mean, there, there's a lot of great uh, celebrities from Nickelodeon who are part of that year, including like Larry Beth Denberg. Uh, I think Danny Tamborelli was there too. Many others. It's, it's worth checking out. Uh, all right, Alex, it's that time again to drain the slime tank in the main engine room. All systems go as we chart a course back home. Aye, aye, co-captain. Velma, is there anything else we need to do to prepare the Christopher Lightspeed? Um, I'm not sure that you are my commander, Mr. Alex, but what if we stop off at Radu's home, Uranus? <laughs> Bova, <laughs> do you have a map of Uranus? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, sure I'm not helping around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, Slimesters and Gackoids, we're going to head out. Watch you later, Galactic Gactoids and Space Slimesters. See you next time.
right. but you that asked was, for it. That Sorry. Was perfect. That I was love it. Thought, I love it. Oh, I love that it. was great. I love it so much. <laughs>